For the past few summers, our family has done summer swimming. I married into it. Jenny was a swimmer and then a swim coach. And because when I grew up in Indiana, we didn't have swimming pools, community swimming pools. You couldn't do summer swimming. We had swimming holes. These are naturally occurring phenomenon. And then in southern Indiana, it's all the rock stuff that we dug out, and then the rain filled up the hole. And that's where you went to swim in Indiana. We didn't have fancy swimming pools and all that stuff like y'all got in the south. Okay, so, but, so, so, so I've done summer swimming. Now, summer swimming is humbling for a middle-aged man for two reasons. One, I can't keep up. The other, two weeks ago, they did this sharks and minnows thing, and they had all the older kids were going to be uh, uh, the sharks, and the younger kids were going to be the minnows, and it's how fast you can swim in the water, one direction. And they're like, Max, you should join us, you should join us. And I'm like, I'm good, because I knew exactly how that would play out. <laughs> this last Wednesday, I, uh, I showed up to the meet early, it was a home meet, and one of the things you have to do is... Uh, in swimming, they have these lane ropes, and you, they, you know, they divide the lanes in the water, and they're lane ropes. But to get them to the other side, you actually have to swim them over to the other side. So I'm thinking, no problem. I grab three of the hooks, and I'm, <laughs> you know, because you can only do it one-armed if you got the others, you know. So I'm flapping, and I get to the other side, and I get out of the pool, and I had to do the Max, you okay? <laughs> okay, so, and then the other thing is that my body is stiffer than it used to be. I, I, I like to call it pre-rigor mortis. <laughs> Those of you that are younger and don't know Latin because they don't teach it in school anymore, just ask your mom and dad later what rigor mortis is. Um, it will come to you someday too. Um, but not to mention, not to mention, there's two male assistant coaches that are in their early 20s and they're competitive swimmers, okay? In case you're not aware of what that means, I brought along photographs to demonstrate because a picture's worth a thousand words. So if we can get my, uh, what? I did, it's on, uh, oh, here. It's on this, it's, uh, it should be on there. It's on a thumb drive. It's on a thumb drive. You know, I was just talking about how the fact that I feel like I'm aging is terrible, absolutely terrible. All right, so competitive swimmers, if you uh, are, are not accustomed to this, there's something about the swimming in the water, it just, you're chiseled, okay? Chiseled. There's nothing about being middle-aged that has any chiseled component to it, okay? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Um, and so... I'm with these, I see these two uh, assistant coaches, and of course, if you're a young buck at age 23 and you're a competitive swimmer and you're at the swimming pool, are you going to have your shirt on? No. You know, guys, come on, it's, you know, dun, 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 you kind of, it's there. Hey, take a peek, yes. You know, and so if you're the middle-aged man, you keep your shirt on. And even though I may not have tire issues, I've got wire issues because this is basically a skeleton with some skin and flesh thrown on last minute. And that's all it's going to be. So 
here we go. They've, they, I got my picture. So here, here is a stereotypical, the next, slide, the next picture is a stereotypical um, male swimmer. There he is. Down from Mount Olympus. Okay. Sorry, guys, that your ladies are all now like drool. Okay. He, next picture is what you really see at the pool all the time. <laughs> okay. And, and therein, therein is the difference. Okay, and you might say to me, Max, you shouldn't be comparing yourself to 23-year-old competitive swimmers. You're right, which is why when you and I make comparisons, we always lose. Comparing never comes out good when you do the comparing game. And I kind of want to talk to you about that today. So some ways this plays out in your life. For those of you that are younger, right, you've done the mom, dad, I am the only one I know with a dumb phone, right? Everyone else, they have data. They have, you know, boom, 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 boom. Uh, there's some of us that have uttered the, I am the only one in my circle who is still single, who is, you know, and you're looking in the other lanes. You're looking at the other people. Or the, have you had this conversation? How did they afford to go to Europe? Like, I can't even afford to fill up the truck. How did they get to Europe? That's like filling up a plane, you know? And so the comparison game, the comparison game usually, just usually doesn't play out well. And, and so sometimes the comparison game is you're looking at somebody and you size up that you're better than them. And that happens this percent of the time. And you're kind of like, man, they stink as parents. Whew, glad we're not that bad. You know, you've seen them at the park occasionally, and then you, you, you know. So th that's this much. This much of comparison is you look at somebody else, and you have envy, and you go, wah, look at what they have. Look at how happy they are. Honey, how's come you can't be like that? You know, kind of a thing. And, and this is how comparison works out. Envy, by the way, let me give you a definition. Envy, which is also called invidiousness. I know, that's an I word. Okay, so uh, you, here I'll say it one more time. Invidiousness. Invidiousness. So the next time one of your peeps, you can just, you know, I think you're suffering from invidiousness. Is it terminal? Sometimes. In, invidiousness is best defined as an emotion that occurs when a person lacks another's perceived superior quality, achievement, or possession and either desires it or wishes that the other person didn't have it. <laughs> and there, therein lies envy. So the comparison game really is not fun most of the time because most of the time we're comparing ourselves with somebody who's faster, who seems happier, who has more, et cetera, et cetera. And so on the inside we sulk and inwardly we complain to God, hey God, how's come you love them more? Right? Because we always conclude that if they have more or if they seem happier, God likes them more. There's so much wrong with that theology, by the way, but, but let's keep going on. So today, I want to share with you a very simple lesson from summer swimming. This is a very simple lesson. Here's my bottom line for the day. Quit looking in the other lanes. What do I mean by that? Quit looking in the other lanes. Let, put up my little picture here. I've got one last picture. This is how swimming works. These are the lane ropes, and they're in lanes, all right? 
And when the starter gun goes off or the beep or whatever and you go into the water, you need to get to the other side fast, 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 fast. That's swimming, okay? Competitive swimming. You would be surprised how many younger swimmers do this. Are they ahead? Are they behind? Where am I? And they're, they're always looking in the other lanes. And it always slows them down. And this last week at the, this meet, we had several events where parents are in the other, parents are at the finish line at the end going, don't look at them. Look here. Look here. Finish line. Finish line. Look here. Quit looking. And, you know, oh. In one race, the guy, he totally had it in the bag. And because he was looking at the other lanes, the other guy beat him. So, simple lesson, quit looking in the other lanes. And there, believe it or not, envy is something that Jesus' best and closest friends struggled with. Have you heard of the disciples? <laughs> Some of you have, okay? So open your Bible to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth Gospel, John chapter 21. And that's where we're going to be today. John chapter 21. And here's... You're never going to be happy if you're always focusing on the other lanes, all right? So John chapter 21 is like this epilogue to the Gospel of John. Um, to put it in uh, ways that Americans like to talk about, it's like the return of the king after they win the battle, only the film goes on for another 25 minutes, okay? That's John chapter 21. Jesus, they nailed Jesus to the cross. He rose again. Woo! It's like end of the story, and then... Chapter 21. So it's kind of like this epilogue. And John picks up the themes of the first 20 chapters and is kind of trying to tie them together. And so chapter 21 is after the resurrection and uh, Jesus, uh, P Jesus' friends were fishing. So John 21, what did I say? Verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you, Peter said. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. So this interchange happens. Uh, Peter and the disciples had been fishing. They're in a boat. This guy way off to the side along the shore says, hey, had any luck? No, haven't had any luck. Cast your net over on the other side of the boat. And sure enough, they do. And then Peter's like, it's Jesus, you know, John kind of cues him into that, but, you know, Peter get, eventually gets in line. It's Jesus, jumps in the water, swims to shore, has this interchange. Now, if you know your Bible sequence, right, Peter did this bravado thing uh, when Jesus was having kind of a final meal with his friends, and, and Peter was all like, you know, I hey, I'm with you, I don't care if everyone else deserts you, you know, I'm going to stand by you, just like the song, stand by me, I mean, I'm there for you, we're best buddies, you know, you're my master, you're my rabbi, nothing is, I mean, nothing's going to go wrong, and Jesus is like, well, actually, it's not going to play out that way, and three times, three times, remember Peter, so this is kind of a awkward 
conversation that Peter's now having, because Peter knows, you know, in his mind, I'm not Judas, I didn't sell him out, but man, I didn't live up to anything I said. I mean, I, I stink as a friend. I mean, and, and how many of you would really extend the olive branch to a friend who up and deserts you at your worst possible moment when you need your friends the most? Okay, so all of that's playing out in this interchange. And so I love what happens next, and I think so many people kind of miss it. They focus on the restoration part of Peter, which is huge. Okay, this is huge. It's a big part of what's going on in this passage right here is Jesus is restoring Peter in his own, so that Peter's like, oh, okay, so I can still follow you. We're good. The relationship's good. Really? This is going to play out this way? I mean, are you kidding me, Lord? All right. Uh, Verse 18 and following. I tell you the truth, says Jesus. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Now, basic Baptist question right here. What does Jesus want Peter to do? Boom! You guys are with it. A plus plus, 110%. Woo! All get A's today. Follow me is what Jesus says to Peter. And I would suggest that that's what Jesus says to you and me. Jesus is saying, hey, 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 quit looking in the other lanes. Follow me. As the writer of Hebrews says, fix your gaze on Jesus, on me. Don't be looking everywhere else. And go, what do they have? Ask them, they, you know, no, 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 quit that. <laughs> Look at me. Their deal's their deal. It's between us. It's not none of your business. Focus here on me. <coughs> we get that sense because of what happens next in this passage. Peter turned around. So away from Jesus is you got to love the irony, okay? What does Jesus say here? Jesus says, what? Follow me. What does Peter do right then after that? Turn around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. I love this. This is awesome. It's like children, okay? The one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him? This is the world we live in, <laughs> okay? So follow me, follow me. Immediately, Peter turns around, and, and even though it's the disciple Jesus loved, we know from John's gospel that this is John. This is John's cute way of referring to himself. So, so Peter is turning around and looking at John. Remember, when, it was, uh, when they rushed to the tomb, who were the two people, the d- two disciples, after the women were all over the scene and had it all figured out in the whole nine yards? The guys come late. And who are the two guys running to the tomb? It's Peter and John. Okay? And so there's a little bit of competitiveness here, I think. And so P- follow me. As soon as Jesus says it, turns around. His gaze and focus is not on Jesus now. It's on John and, you know, it's, what, what about him, Lord? And I think, this is just now opinion, I think 
the, what, what Peter is asking here is, um, hey, you, you know, because Jesus just spells out this death that's going to honor Jesus and the whole nine yards, and, you know, oh, I'm going to suffer for the Lord, and, you know. And I almost half wonder if this is, John, if Peter going, he's not going to best that, is he? Like, it's, you know, I'm going to be like one, number one, right? <laughs> I guess, you know. And so notice Jesus' response, like any good parent of a three-year-old. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? <laughs> now you're beeswax. As for you, follow me. There it is again. As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die, but that's not what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? So here twice, Jesus is having to say to Peter, what? Follow me. Me, not John. Quit worrying about John. Quit worrying about what kind of death John's going to have or whether he dies of old age. It's none of your beeswax. Or to put it into the lens of competitive summer swimming, quit looking in the other lanes. Stay in your lane. Focus on Jesus who's at the end of the lane. Finish. Keep your eye on Jesus. Um, it, it amazes me during these swim meets, how, again, how many kids do the whole thing. But come on, let's be honest, right? In grown-up land, how much of grown-up life is, what do they have? Hey, did you, did you see what they drove up in the driveway next door in? You know, what? There's no way they can't afford that. I know. So we're constantly, our gaze is always in the other lanes, and it doesn't do us any good because on the inside, remember, it causes us to sulk, and then we, you know, wham to God, and you love them more than you love me. And it's, it's crazy. What if, what if Moses had looked at Joshua and done the whole, How's come? I'm not a general like he is. I don't lead anybody into battle. I just carry down the stone tablets from the mountain. <gasps> what if David had done the whole, you know, Nathan is just like prophet glory. I mean, he just comes and tells this story, and before you know it, you're spilling your guts out. You know, I wish I had that ability. This is a king. Or what if Jeremiah had, well, how's come I can't, actually, Jeremiah would have, right? <laughs> right? Right? Okay? There, there are six, seven billion people on this spinning earth. No two are exactly identical. Even identical twins are different under the hood. Uh, each one is unique, and each one has their own lane in life. I want to suggest to you, just like swimming, you got your own lane. And there's something that God has for you, something that God has gifted you, a purpose, all kinds of stuff, and it's yours and yours only. It's not theirs, it's not three lanes over, it's you, okay? So let me ask some questions in light of this passage and in light of Jesus saying, follow me. Question number one, has comparing yourself to others really made you feel better? I will start the Alcanon meeting right now. Hi, I'm Max, and when I compare myself to other pastors, especially famous ones, I feel like I suck. <laughs> okay, right? Comparison doesn't, doesn't take you where you think it's going to take you, okay? Question number two, what's the last clear thing that God told you to do? What is it? Then do that and quit worrying about the other lanes. And if you're not sure, you're like, well, I'm not sure what God told me to do. I would encourage you to start trolling through the Gospels in this book right here. Just read Matthew. 
There's enough in Matthew alone that has to do with love, that has to do with money and possessions, that has to do with discipling other people. That will keep you busy the rest of your life. You don't even have to hear from God. I mean, in a sense, just read the Gospel of Matthew and do half of what's in there, right? See, I mean, you know, so what's the last clear thing God told you to do? Then just do that. And then, final question, suppose for a moment you beat everyone else. You're the fastest one of the six lanes. Does that really mean that God loves you more than the other swimmers? If you know that to be true when you're the fastest, prettiest, smartest, you have the most, everything's come together the way you think it should, then why isn't it true when other people have more, other people seem to have the things that you want, et cetera, et cetera? Well, duh, right? God's love for you is not necessarily tied to what you have or don't have or what you've been given or not given, right? Here's where this plays out for us as a church. It would be a mistake for us as a church to look at other churches, like churches with satellite campuses and all that stuff, and go, well, we need to be just like them. I mean, can we learn some things from them? Yeah. Can we change some things? You bet. Are they the measuring stick for our lane? No. Um, it's a mistake when you and I compare ourselves to our sister, our brother, our cousin, our friend. Can we learn from them and stuff they're doing in their life? Yeah. Can we make some changes because of things we see? You bet. Are they the measuring stick for our life? No. It's Jesus. So in case you missed it, right, quit looking in the other lanes. It's not good for you. It's not good for me. It's not good for any of us. It certainly wasn't good for Peter. Because <laughs> Peter and John lived out totally different lives. God used them differently. And let me tell you something. God does have something for you. And God's love for you is solid. It's a rock. You can take it to the bank. I know sometimes you don't feel that way, but I'm telling you, it is there, and you can count on him, and you don't need to be worrying about the other lanes.